You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. This podcast is designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, it's important you understand the content of this podcast may be difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. The information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. A recent legislative change has removed the work test from the 1st of July 22 for members aged between 67 to 74. This change provides new opportunities for people in this age group to make additional contributions to top up their super, but also the opportunity to implement recontribution strategies for a variety of reasons, including estate planning and spouse equalisation. However, implementing a recontribution strategy for clients that have already retired requires careful consideration of a range of issues that could impact the attractiveness and viability of the strategy. I'm Kim Guest, one of the senior managers in the First Tech team, and I'll be talking to Craig Day, head of the First Tech team, about these issues. Hi, Craig. Hey, Kimberly. How are you? Not bad. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm excited to be talking about this, though. How exciting. It's pretty good, isn't it? It's a big (laughs) thing. It is. I'm, I'm quite I'm quite pleased about the uh, the removal of the work test, etc. Mm. And but this is an interesting um, an interesting view of it, though an, an interesting angle that we haven't really thought about before. Yeah, it's it's created its own issues as well as benefits, hasn't it? Yep, yep, absolutely. All right, so let's get into it. Um, so as I said in the intro, next financial year, we're going to be able to implement the recontribution strategy for people who are aged 67 to 74 without having to meet a work test. But what sort of issues do we need to consider for people in this age group? Okay, so as you said in the intro there, for many advisors, uh, a recontribution, I suppose, is something they think about when the client actually retires and as part of the process of commencing an account-based pension. And the reason there is simple is it just simply locks in a higher tax-free proportion. Now, the new rules, as we said, provide the opportunity to implement recontribution strategies for clients that, uh, that have already retired, however. So all of a sudden, we're starting to think about these rules, not in the context of someone that's just retired and we're commencing an account-based pension for them, but for someone that's already potentially been retired for five, six, seven, eight, nine years, maybe not nine years, but for quite a for quite a period of time. So in these situations, we're going to have to consider a whole bunch of issues based around the fact that they've probably already got existing account-based pensions running. So some of the issues we need to think about are, are the pension commutation rules that apply. So if we're, you know, running an account-based pension. Most people will know that they're fully commutable, but that is subject to meeting certain rules. So we need to think about those. Also, what to do with the recontributed amounts? Do we do we refresh the original pension or do we start an additional pension? So we're running now two or more pensions compared to just one. Um, also, and for some people, it'll be really important to think about any potential loss of social security grandfathering, any potential reduction of the age pension entitlements that comes from that. And then finally, if we're thinking about doing one of these strategies for someone in a self-managed super fund, the potential tax implications uh, for that fund where we're potentially commuting an income stream, taking money out, putting it back in, and as part of that whole process, we're selling some assets to, to fund the commutation. So getting the timing right there will be a very important consideration. 
Wow. Okay. Well, that's lots of issues to consider, isn't it? Um, mm. Let's start with the first one. Uh, you mentioned that we've got to think about the pension commutation rules. Can you explain what we need to consider there? Yeah. So here, most people will know that account-based pensions are fully commutable. But what we don't sometimes realise is that that is actually subject to some income rules. So where we get a client that fully or partially commutes account-based pension, they may be required to receive at least a pro rata pension payment prior to commuting a lump sum for that commutation to be actually be permitted. Okay, so for example, an account-based pension under the, the CIS pension regulations can only be commuted where, if we're doing a partial commutation, the account balance post-commutation is equal to or greater than the remaining minimum payment amount required for the year, or for a full or partial commutation, the member has received at least a pro rata minimum pension payment prior to the lump sum actually being paid. So if I'll give you an example here, so if we've got a client or a member who normally received one annual pension payment from their account-based pension in June each year, make it nice and simple, and if they fully commuted their account-based pension on the 1st of January, say this year, they would actually be required to take or receive a pro rata payment of approximately 50% of their annual minimum amount prior to commuting their pension for the commutation to actually be permitted. Right. And what happens if they don't stick to those rules if they're in a self-managed super fund? Um, so if they are in something, so if you're in a large fund, same rules would apply, um, but then it's up to the trustee to make sure that that occurs and they all have systems inbuilt to make sure that that does happen. But I suppose we've got to think about a little bit more in, in something like a self-managed super fund where the, where the clients are the trustees, so they're the ones that have got to get it right. So in this case, if the account-based pension fails that pension standard during the year, it will actually not be a pension at any time during the year and then for, for tax purposes, it will be deemed to have ceased at the beginning of the year for income tax purposes, right? So what this means is any income derived on the assets during the year will not be exempt and will be fully or partially accessible depending on the fund's circumstances. So for example, if this was the fund's only pension, then all of the income for the for the year will be fully accessible. But if the fund was running another pension, maybe paid to a, a spouse or something along those lines and, and we weren't commuting that, then the fund's income would be partially assessable based on the fact that, you know, assuming we're applying the unsegregated method in that situation. Um, the other things I suppose we've got to think about there is, in addition, the account-based pension will be deemed to have ceased for transfer balance cap purposes. So, you know, the good old transfer balance cap rules. And so in that situation, the trustees are now going to have to report a debit based on the value of the pension at the time the fund failed the commutation rule. So that's a bit weird, isn't it? Because the pension will be ceased to have ceased or considered to have ceased on the 1st of July in the year, but we won't actually know that until they fail the, the commutation rules, for example. And so therefore the debit would actually be the value of that pension as soon as we know that you've failed the pension rules. So that would be at the time of the commutation that's when you can figure out you've failed the rules. So therefore, although the pension ceases at the beginning of the year, the debit value would be the value of that pension at the time that you failed that commutation rule. So at the time you commuted out without paying the pro rata minimum, for example. Um, and then the member would also be required, you know, to recommence their pension to go back into pension phase. So they've got all of the paperwork and cost of doing that. 
um, and also additional reporting. So remember now we're commencing a new pension on or after the 1st of July 2017. So therefore, um, we're going to have to report a credit as well. So lots of paperwork and, and yeah. tax hassles yeah. um, just b- because you got it wrong. Yeah. So there's a bit of planning and administration required when we make a full or partial commutation of the pension. Um, but what about planning for a new account-based pension that we're that we're commencing with the recontributed amount? If we're partially commuting the original account-based pension and we're putting the money back in and starting a new account-based pension, what should we do? Should we um, refresh it and put you know roll it back to accumulation, add the additional money, and kick off a new pension, or should we start an additional pension? All right. So in this context, really important to understand that under the pension rules, so we've talked about the commutation rules previously, but also under those pension rules, it's very clear that something like an account-based pension cannot be added to by way of contribution or rollover. So therefore, if we're partially commuting a pension, so let's say we've got a $660,000 pension, something along those, and then we're going to go and pull 330 out and put it back in, then in that situation, we've got two options. So we could refresh that original pension by fully commuting it, rolling it back to accumulation phase, where we then merge it with that recontributed amount, and then we recommence a new pension for $660,000. Or we simply now have two pensions. So we've got the original pension that we've partially commuted, that stays in place, and then with the recontributed amount, we start a new and second pension um, with the 330. So in that example I gave you, we'd now be running two pensions with account balances of $330,000 each. Okay, so we've got two choices. So what are the considerations we need to take into account when deciding which one we should pick? Yeah, okay. So if we're going to start a second pension, so we'll we'll cover that one off first, and then we'll go back to refreshing. So if we're going to start a second pension, advisor will, will need to consider the timing of when we implement the recontribution strategy. What I mean by that is if we do this early in a financial year, the recontribution strategy potentially causes us an issue around the level of income that we're going to be required to draw for a year. So for example, where a recontribution strategy was implemented early in the year, the member will be required to receive a minimum annual payment from the original account-based pension, but that is based on the 1 July account balance. Now, if we're commuting not on 1 July or even actually on 1 July would still cause us the same problem, but let's just say we're, we're commuting sometime in July. Remember here we calculated our minimum account balance based on the account balance that existed at 1 July. So that would include the amount that we're actually going to pull out and then put back into super and use to start a second income stream. So that, if I go back to that example I used before, that $330,000, we've calculated the minimum off the original pension, including that $330,000, then it comes out and then it goes back in and used to commence a second pension. So now we have a second pension and that same $330,000 is being used to define the minimum uh, pension payment for the year for that second pension as well. So as a result, the amount um, that we're going to potentially be required to receive in the form of income is going to be look much higher than we would otherwise be required to draw down because we're doing it early in the financial year. So that doesn't sound good. Is there a way that we could manage that? 
yeah, yeah. As with anything, you know, there's there's the strategy, but we just need to think about it a little bit. So the first one would be we could implement a strategy of simply doing this at the end of the previous financial year. So if we've wanting got clients wanting to do this on one July this year, maybe think about doing the recontribution strategy in June this year. And the reason for that is that will ensure the minimum for the original account-based pension uh, in the next financial year is based on the lower account balance. So that, you know, we pull 330 out and we're going to recontribute it and put it back into and start a second pension. Um, but then come 1 July, that balance has dropped now. It's no longer 660, it's now 330. So we calculate the minimum based off that. So that's good. And if we do this in June and we take advantage of the old 1 June rule, which basically means that if we start a pension on or after the 1st of June in a year, there is no pro rata requirement for that, then that that recontribution or the commutation we take out of super, put it back in, commence that second pension, as long as it's on or after the 1st of June in the financial year, we can elect not to have to receive any income for that second pension in that first year. And then when we get to 1 July, both of those pensions, if we go back to the 660 article um, assumption, then both of those pensions are having a minimum based off 330. So we would come back and receive the amount of income that we would otherwise have received and not be required to take down or take out more than we otherwise should be required to take out. Okay. Is there any other options that we have? Um, yeah, so so there is. In that situation, um, what we could also think about doing is instead of drawing the um, the amount as a commutation, we could actually decide to take it as an additional pension payment. Because remember, for something like an account-based pension, there's no maximum. So what we could simply do is say, you know, give us this extra $330,000 as a pension payment. Now, obviously, we, we want to do that if the client is over 60, so it's all going to be tax-free. Mm. Um, and the reason why we're doing that is because that additional pension payment will actually count towards the minimum, clearly. Um, so that would then allow the member to reduce the pension payments from the original account-based pension to take into account the additional pension payments they'll receive from their second account-based pension. So it gives them a little bit more flexible because that additional pension payment will count towards the minimum. The remaining income that they want to then draw down for the rest of the year that they would normally draw down, you can reduce that down because, you know, you've already taken the minimum required. Now, in that situation, although it would be really important to understand what, if any, impact this would have on the client's age pension entitlement because now potentially they're taking a lot more income and therefore that would potentially, depending on their circumstances, be included in their income test and could actually blow them off any age pension entitlement that they have, which would leave a client rather unhappy, I would imagine. Yeah, so that's for grandfathered account-based pensions, isn't it, where the, the annual payment minus the deductible amount is accessible. That would certainly make a great big annual payment, wouldn't it, doing that strategy? That, mm. Exactly right, exactly right. So if it's deemed, we don't need to worry about it, but um, if it's one of those old grandfathered pensions, then, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Okay, well, that's all good. Um, what issues do we also need to consider if we're going to implement the pension refresh strategy? So we've talked about the, you know, taking out and, and having two separate account-based pensions, but what about if we're doing the refresh strategy where we roll the, take it out, roll the original one back to accumulation, add the money and kick off a new refreshed yeah. pension? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I suppose that's that's also another option to, to try and manage that issue we saw before because actually in that situation you would be completely shutting down your pension. You wouldn't be continuing on with, the, with an existing pension. So what we do is we fully commute the pension, pay out the, the amount of the lump sum, recontribute that, and then we combine that with our you know, leftover residual that we've moved back to the accumulation phase. And, uh, and in that situation, we start a new pension. So as a result, you know, we've been required to take a pro rata pension payment on the way out. And then when we recommence our new pension shortly after, we've got to then calculate a pro rata minimum for that as well. So you would see in that situation the client wouldn't actually be required to take any more income, right? Mm-hmm. Now, just thinking to myself now as, as I'm going through that is I'd also need to be careful there that that wasn't some sort of death benefit pension because I wouldn't be able to move that back into the accumulation phase. It's either lump sum or income stream. But anyway, that's yeah. just a, a little quirk on the side. Now, in that situation, let's just assume I've got a bog standard everyday pension that I commenced. If I'm going to be fully commuting that, now I've got to take into account any transaction costs involved, such as any buy-sell spreads, which may apply with a member of a, you know, a large unitised fund sold and acquired new units to facilitate this recontribution strategy. And in this case, I suppose these costs may be higher under a pension, pension refresh approach as we're fully commuting that existing income stream. So there's a whole bunch of units there, but potentially could have just stayed in pension phase. Now we're redeeming those units, buying units back into the accumulation phase and then transferring back into the to the pension phase. So there's a lot of transaction costs built into that that you would want to make sure was, was justified. So, mm. um, you know, if, yeah, to me, probably a lot of people will just be doing the second strategy because... You know, if they're going to do it at all, because that uh, that pension refresh strategy potentially could be quite expensive, depending on the number of units that are, are moving now between pension and accumulation phase, and then back into the pension phase, and all the buy sell spreads that potentially get in, get incurred there. Yeah, I guess there's a lot of things to think about there, isn't it? Some people just want one pension and there might be mm. state planning reasons why you might want one or two pensions and there's lots of different considerations there. But, yeah, definitely um, those costs would be a big part yeah. of the whole process. Yeah, and you raise a really valid point there about some people. I remember we were dealing with a client not that long ago, about 12 months ago, where there was a, a death benefit, so slightly different death benefit situation. Um, and the client was really upset by the fact that, you know, the death benefit pension was going to revert over to her. So her spouse's her spouse passed away mm. and she already had an existing account-based pension and uh, the her spouse's account-based pension was going to revert to her and she wanted to merge them into one. Um, and unfortunately, under the death benefit rules, you, you can't do that because you have to keep your death benefit separate from your, your assets or your benefits. Mm. Um, and she was, you know very upset by the fact that she couldn't do that um, and it was bringing to question whether she was going to remain with the fund or not. I mean, we were saying it's not going to make any, any difference where you go. The, the, the CIS rules are the same CIS rules. So, And we weren't talking to the particular client. We are talking to their advisor. So we don't quite know how that ended up, but that was a good example of a client just wanting one pension. She didn't want multiple pensions. Mm, you can understand that. It would be simpler and easier to administer yeah. and all those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so we've talked about um, the importance of timing and um, 
you know, the difference between taking amounts as lump sum commutations or additional pension payments when you're doing the recontribution strategy. Um, but what about from a social security perspective? We did touch on this when we talked about grandfathered account-based pensions. How could a recontribution strategy impact somebody's, um, for example, age pension entitlements? Yeah, so really important, as we mentioned before. So prior to implementing a recontribution strategy, it's going to be very, very important to consider what impact it could have on their age pension entitlement. Now, obviously, some people don't get age pension, so it wouldn't impact them, so they don't need to think about it. Um, and some people will be on different income and assets tests. So potentially, even though we might get some more income counting and, and we'll go through that, if they're subject to the assets test, it also wouldn't be uh, an impact on them. But we have to stop and consider this, right? So in the, fir- in the in this case, the first thing to do is to consider the original account-based pension. So if it's grandfathered as it commits prior to the 1st of January 2015 and the client has been continuously in receipt of an income support payment, such as the age pension, then the annual payment minus a deductible amount is assessed under the income test. So that's what I was talking about before. If we're suddenly taking a lot more income and we've got a grandfather pension, we're actually looking at the level of income coming out of the pension and subtracting off a deductible amount. Now, in this case, uh, any partial commutations will reduce the calculation of the deductible amount. Uh, and if it's fully commuted, grandfathering will no longer apply. Also, where the new account-based pension uh, is commenced, the new account-based pension would not qualify for any Social Security grandfathering and would be assessed as a financial investment and subject to deeming. So, you know, got to think about it in both cases there. If we're doing a pension refresh strategy and fully commuting, well, that's, you know, the pension would no longer be, you know, any new pension we started as part of that refresh strategy wouldn't be eligible for grandfathering, or if we simply pulled money out, kept the existing pension running, then what happens there is we have to adjust the deductible amount for the commutation. Um, if we're doing a commutation and that new pension that we're starting is com- being commenced on or after the 1st of January 2015, so therefore is not going to be eligible for that previous treatment and will be subject to get deeming. So then depending on a member's circumstances, this could then result, bizarrely, in either more or less income being assessed under the age pension income test. And as a result, this could change their age pension entitlement um, if it's determined under that test. Now, we could sit here and and I could fire a lot of numbers at you and you'd probably get a bit confused and lost, Kim, because I I know how good you are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm enjoying you teaching me social security. Keep going. It's really good. (laughs) (laughs) So in in that situation, um, it's probably better rather than me firing lots of numbers of people. We have written an article on this, so um, recontribution conundrums, um, and we've got some... um, We've got some case studies in there that show you exactly in what circumstance some would have someone would have potentially more income now being assessed, um, or the situation where you could potentially have less income being assessed. Very simply, that's just simply where you know someone was drawing down more than their deductible amount, uh, and in this situation, you know, as a result of this, they're going to potentially be drawing the same income level, um, but now, but. Part of that income is now being assessed for under the deeming rules. It could actually result in a little bit less income counting under the income test. But once again, rather than me go through all of this, how this works, actually go and check out the example in the article and give a good ex- explanation of how that works in a work case study with it. Great. Awesome. Yes. So um, 
it sounds like we need to carefully consider the social security impacts and it might be good or bad to do um, change somebody's grandfathering to uh, at least partially to a deemed account-based pension. But moving on now to something that you love, self-managed super funds, uh, what would be the tax implications that need to be considered if we're going to implement a recontribution strategy in a self-managed super fund? Close to my heart. Are you saying Social Security not close to my heart? <laughs> I think it's well established that you don't love Social Security, Craig. You've oh, told people I, before. Oh, I love my Social. It's my dog that doesn't like Social. Oh, that's now, right. <laughs> now, if we're gonna if we're gonna look at self managed super funds, right? So, and I mentioned this in the intro, right? Um, we do need to think about any potential tax consequences for the fund that may arise from the implementation of a recontribution strategy in the commencement of a new, new account-based pension. And this all has to do with if we're going to start going and selling assets in order to give us liquidity to fund a recontribution strategy, and we're also going to be commuting income streams, it becomes very important to get the timing right around the commutation request and the sale of the assets. And so, for example, here, while any capital gains triggered on the disposal of an asset by a fund that is fully in retirement phase would generally be disregarded and tax-free, um, and that's good. This will, however, depend on a number of factors. So firstly being whether the pension was fully or partially commuted, and if, it, if it's going to be fully commuted, the timing of when the commutation request took effect versus the timing of when the assets were disposed. So really important. So let's give you an example here. So, for example, where a trustee sold a CGT asset to facilitate a cash-out recontribution strategy after the member's request to fully commute the account-based pension had taken effect, the account-based pension will have already ceased and therefore the assets supporting the pension will no longer qualify as segregated current pension assets and any capital gains realised on, on disposal will no longer be fully exempt. So let me just reiterate. So, so where a trustee sold CGT assets to facilitate the cash out recontribution strategy after the member's request to fully commute had taken effect. So they've already commuted the pension. Then we go and sell the assets. Well, the pension's already ceased. So therefore, those assets are no longer pension assets, they're normal accumulation assets. Mm -hmm. So therefore, any capital gains realised are no longer going to be fully exempt, right? So in this situation, under some new rules, actually, that took effect from the 1st of July this year, um, a trustee would have two options to calculate any potential tax liabilities. So one, they could just apply what they're going to call the default method or default rules because they're the rules that currently apply. And that would be to treat all fund income received during the period the fund was fully in retirement phase as exempt. But remember, we realised the capital gains after the pension ceased, right? Mm -hmm. So one, treat all income received during the periods the fund was fully in retirement phase as exempt and B, treat any income received during the periods the fund was not fully in the retirement phase as either fully accessible or partially accessible, depending on whether the fund was paying any other retirement income streams during the periods it was not fully in the retirement phase. So for example, let's just say I had a single member self-managed fully in retirement phase. They went and commuted their pension, then sold all of the assets. Now in that situation, the fund's pension has stopped and then the income after the pension has stopped 
would then be fully assessable. However, if I had a two-member fund and I was only doing this for one of the members and the other member was just continuing along in their pension, then in that period after I've fully commuted one of those pensions, then the fund would be both partly in accumulation phase and partly in pension phase. So then I would apply the unsegregated method in that situation. But in the worst case scenario, you've simply got a fund that was fully segregated. Now it's fully not in any way paying a pension. So therefore, any income derived during that period would be fully accessible, right? So that was the way that the rules worked right up until, oh, actually between 1 July 2017, and up until 1 July this year, so 1 July 2021. Now, the reason why it wasn't applying before that is because that's what the industry used to, this is what the industry used to do by default, um, and then some kind of interpretations changed around the introduction of all those new super rules on the 1st of July 2017. ATO came out and said, no, 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 you've got to do it like this, and then the government's finally fixed that up and said, essentially, we can go back to the future, right? So, um, the other option here is to elect to apply the unsegregated method to the whole of the financial year, in which case a portion of all of the fund's income, including any realised capital gains received over the year, would be accessible. So I'd imagine which option would provide the best outcome will depend on the circumstances and that advisors would need to do some calculations and check. Absolutely. So, for example, if a single-member self-managed fund that was fully in retirement phase. So, you know, let's say just got a single member fund and they've got 100% of their benefits in retirement phase, account-based pension. If they dispose their assets after the member's request to fully commute their their sole account-based pension had taken effect, then any capital gains realised on disposal would be fully accessible. Okay, so we've just gone through that. However, if the trustee instead elected to apply the unsegregated method for the whole of the year, then depending on how long it took for the new account-based pension to be commenced with the recontributed amount, the exempt portion may still end up being very close to 100% as the fund will have been fully in the pension phase for very close to 100% of the year. So in that situation, the question is then simply, which gives the test best tax results? So do I apply the default method, which may include 100% of what depending on the circumstances, may be a small amount in the fund's assessable income. So if it's only a very small capital gain, you know, what does that look like? Or including a small percentage of a much larger amount in the fund's assessable income. It's just simply looking at the particular circumstances and comparing the two outcomes, and that will tell you which one. And and these days you can go on and, you know, a lot of the actuarial firms will allow you to to you know, put the two different scenarios in before you have to pay for an actuarial certificate and you can see the outcome from that. So, um, you know, simply which option provides the best outcome, you know, that that's going to be important to calculate. Where the where option two or where assuming that the unsegregated approach will apply the best outcome and assuming the fund would otherwise have been fully segregated for the whole of the year, the trustees should also factor in the cost of now having to obtain an actuarial certificate, which which would not otherwise have been required. So it's an additional cost. These days they're not too much, you know, $100 or $200, but it would be an additional um, cost to take into account. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess in that situation, the best thing would be for the trustee to sell the assets prior to commuting the pension. That's right. So, you know... Um, Rule number one here, to avoid all of that complexity I just talked about, (laughs) 
is get your timing right, get your sequence right. So before you go and commute anything, um, if you're going to do a recontribution strategy with amounts coming out of a pension um, and you're going to be selling assets to, to to fund the liquidity, you know, you might already have sufficient cash um, assets already there sitting there. You don't need to worry about selling anything. But if you are going to have to sell out assets to, to give yourself the cash to pay out the lump sum and then recontribute it, then sell the assets before you do any commutation because if the ATO takes the view that um, you sold the assets after the commutation um, request had taken effect and that's when you've made the commutation request and the trustees accepted it, essentially, if you go and look at uh, TR 2013-5, which is the pension commencement and uh, cessation ruling, um, if you selling assets after it's ceased, then, you know, tax that we were just talking about. But if you sold the assets before, then they are segregated current pension assets at the time of disposal. You don't need to worry about um, capital gains tax. Sounds like a good solution. Um, mm. So what happens where a member is only partially commuting their income stream? So, yeah, good question. So in this case, any capital gain or losses realised would generally be disregarded as the account-based pension you know, when you partially commute a pension, the pension doesn't stop, right? So therefore, at the time you're selling these assets, they're still fully in pension phase or another way you can refer to those pensions as pension assets as being segregated current pension assets. So any capital gains or losses that you realise on those assets would simply be disregarded. Um, in addition, any income received by the fund during periods between when the commutation was paid out and before and after the new account-based pension was commenced, that would also be fully exempt. In this case, assuming the account-based pension was commenced on the same day the contribution was made, as once again, the fund would be fully in the retirement phase during those periods. Now, here, I've just talked about contribution being made, commenced the pension. Essentially, the way the industry operates and is the fact that if you make a contribution and commence the pension on the same day, then that money is well, that contribution is used to commence a pension on that day, so therefore it is in the pension phase from that day. So making a contribution and starting a pension on the same day doesn't mean that we've got, you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars sitting in pension phase for the accumulation phase for half the day in pension phase for the other half the day. No, they would just assume that the pension was commenced right at the beginning of that day. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you know, everything is in pension phase for that day. However, if there was any delay between when the pension was commuted and the amount was recontributed to the fund and when the new account-based pension was commenced, then the trustee would need to compare the tax outcomes from um, applying the unsegregated method to the income received by the fund during any period when the contribution was made and the account-based pension was commenced if any. So, you know, if that was only a five, 10-day delay between making the contribution and commencing the pension, we'd only be really be looking at the income that was received in that five to 10-day period um, with then just applying the unsegregated method for the whole of the year. So once again, we do still have that option to, to do that. It may in that situation be actually easier just to apply the unsegregated method to that short period of time because you may find that you actually didn't receive any income at all during that couple of days. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Well, thank you very much for that, Craig. That sounds like there's a lot of things to consider when recommending a recontribution strategy for a client who's already retired and receiving an account-based pension. There's certainly a bit more to think about than somebody who's just freshly retired and starting an account-based pension. Um, and so if you would like to know more about this topic, we do have a lovely article called Work Test Removal and Recontribution Conundrums, which is available on our website, which goes through all the things that we've just talked about and we've got some ex work examples and all that sort of thing. So um, that is good bedtime reading. But thanks very much for that, Craig. <laughs> no, no problems at all. Thanks, Kim. Okay, no worries. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please note these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors as a source of general information. All scenarios considered during this podcast were purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. You should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decisions and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.